Welcome to the DLA Piper Infrastructure Podcast. In this series from DLA Piper, we explore how infrastructure, construction and transport are adjusting to a post-COVID-19 world. We examine the biggest challenges ahead and how businesses must evolve to meet them, both in the short and in the longer term. In each episode, you'll get the latest views and insights from DLA Piper's leading lawyers. Hello, I'm Susanna Newbolt. I'm a construction dispute partner at DLA Piper based in Dubai. In this episode, we're going to be talking about how technology is used in construction and some of the challenges to its adoption. Today, I'm joined by Barry Lewis, Managing Director, Construction, Alec, a leading UAE construction group. Hi, Susanna. And Pete Mladenovic, the Enterprise Account Director for Disperse, which is a construction tech company focused on overcoming construction's biggest inefficiencies. Hi, Susanna. Thank you both for joining me. I'm going to start by perhaps asking you to tell us where you think construction is on the digital transformation journey. Pete, do you want to take that one? Yeah, I think we're at a very interesting point in the, let's call the digital transformation um, story. I think uh, we've come a very, very long way um, from the early days of blueprints and the set squares and, and fantastic drawings that were, that were effectively done by hand, uh, moving into the CAD industry, the computer-aided design, where architects, engineers that had now computers to be able to design more efficiently, uh, and then moving on to um, effectively where, where we are at the moment, where we're seeing uh, an, a, a massive uptake in, in BIM, um, so, so, so BIM models which are used to plan projects in 3D, uh, and what we're now finding with that digital transformation by using BIM, the kind of the ongoing technological de- developments or advancements that can be taken out of the BIM models, um, you know, such as robotics, 3D printing, the uh, modularization of, of, of elements, um, I think creates now a, a, big, a much bigger spectrum for us to, to, to sort of springboard off from where we are now. And, uh, and I think we'll talk about a little bit further on in terms of where we see things going from now. But I think we've come a long way, definitely in the last 20 years in, in the construction industry. Obviously, CAD's been around for a while, but I think uh, the last 20 years have shown the, the, the biggest change, really, uh, and for the better, I guess. Thank you. I noted that you used the word springboard there, which suggested to me that whilst I think you've said, um, and we perhaps all acknowledge that the industry has come a long way, springboard suggests that those other things are still really yet to come. So perhaps it's not developed uh, as an industry as far as other industries have. Do you, is that, do you think that's fair? Yeah, I, I think it's very fair. Uh, and, and, you know, the, the, the reason I use the word springboard is because technological advances just outside of the construction industry uh, are developing so quickly. And, and a lot of that is now being used to be integrated back into the construction industry. So that's why I, I sort of say with the use of BIM now, and the fact that we can create these very coordinated and very uh, good models or 3D BIM models to, to effectively visualise what, what buildings would look like, how they can be built in the virtual space, uh, and, then, and then the ongoing technologies that we can use then to take that information and create better, more efficient buildings. Thank you. So, Barry, being part of a leading construction group, what do you think about this? I mean, do you see value of of introducing technology into the construction industry? 
Absolutely. I think um, in terms of adopting technologies, I think we're only scratching the surface. And I think as an industry, we are miles behind other industries that have uh, embraced uh, the technology. And I think um, we need to stop talking about it. And as a collective, that's developers, designers, contractors, subcontractors, we actually need to get serious. And uh, until we get serious, we're just going to basically bumble along like we are. So we, we all know there'll be an industry that um, is grossly inefficient. There's massive waste. We do create environmental issues. And uh, we need to get serious and start adopting the, the technologies that are available and start focusing on becoming efficient and start doing the things that um, we know need to be done and have to be done. I mean, there's massive downward pressure in the market in terms of pricing. And uh, the way to fix it is to make sure that we, we create a lot of efficiency in the system and that can easily be done by adopting the technologies that are available that have been available in the market for some time. The challenge you've got is that a lot of people are surviving in the industry on the back of the inefficiencies that exist. And that's where your challenge is. That's where there's massive resistance to change. So it's not like any other industry when you try and force change. Often it has to be done at a higher level, so it needs to be legislated to force the change. But the technologies are available and uh, the industry is definitely capable of engaging with it and, uh, and capitalising on it. Thank you. Um, and you anticipated that I was going to say after your emphasis on we need to get serious about it and do it, why we haven't done it and what the challenges might be. Pete, do you have any other thoughts on any sort of challenges that might be holding it up? Yeah, well, obviously, uh, coming previously from the construction industry, like Barry, we've both uh, faced many challenges. And, and I think a very good word that the Barry uses is the inefficiencies in the industry. I think we're an extremely inefficient industry. And I think there will be many people who will want to adopt the technology. But obviously, there are many people who, who it actually won't work for. And it's how, we, how do we find that balance between who wants it and who doesn't want it? And how do we actually use it to create better projects? Uh, and unfortunately, um, I think we've got a little bit of a way to go and, and potentially, as Barry suggested, potentially legislation may be one of the, one of the ways to, to, to come forward. So I think there's many inefficiencies, but that can be helped through the, through the use of the technology. But it's, it's who's going to take the first step. Uh, something that we will probably need to talk about as well is, is who's going to pay for it. And then how does that then relate through the supply chain and, and, and who benefits from all of that? Just want to pick up on um, that point about legislation. So a number of countries have legislated for the use of BIM on government projects, for example, including the UAE, actually, um, some time ago. So has, I mean, do we feel that that has been effective? I think, you know, the legislation is definitely there and there's a drive from the authorities to engage the technologies. Uh, the challenge you've got is that everything happens in, in the levels and degrees. And I think if you want to enforce something properly, you need to define exactly what it is that you're expecting to get from the technologies. So currently you can do uh, a BIM submission that satisfies principal design and principal clash dissection, but it's not legislating that it will become the platform that gets used to produce shop drawings and deal with 
uh, time and deal with costs, etc. So they're scratching the surface in terms of what they've legislated. And I mean, unfortunately, the, the industry is under pressure from a, a cost point of view. So, so people do the bare minimum unless it's forced. So and I think that's the challenge that you've got. We're doing it, but we're not serious. <laughs> and do you think then that's a particular problem in the Middle East? Or do you think this is the same anywhere? Um, I think it's not inherent uh, to the Middle East. And I think it's like any industry. Every now and again, you need to, to step back and redefine the rules. And I think the construction industry has got a lot of bad habits. Um, there's a lot of processes and uh, the way things have been done historically. And if we're serious about change and serious about ad adapting and adopting the new technologies, we shouldn't be trying to put the technologies into a broken model. We should be saying, let's put aside the things that are broken and let's redefine how we engage and utilize the technology to get the best outcome and define what is the best outcome. So is the best outcome to get efficient, uh, socially acceptable, uh, environmentally acceptable, you know, so define what that is and then create the new rules of engagement around that technology, as opposed to trying to plug new technology into something that doesn't necessarily work and is not efficient. So we need some wholesale change. Um, that's probably a good time to hear a bit more about some of the forms of technology. Um, and Pete, obviously, you know better than most about how some of this technology can work. Um, do you want to, to tell us about um, the Disperse product, for example? Yeah, so at Disperse, um, we're an AI-based building productivity solution. Uh, and we're currently helping people like developers, contractors and project managers across currently North America, Europe, the Middle East and Australia uh, to gain a much greater and a much more granular understanding of the progress of the projects. So what does it actually mean, really? Um, so at the start of a project, um, we'll link that project's construction schedules and drawings within our system. And then typically weekly or, or as often as our clients wish, um, we'll walk their project and take 360 degree photos of every room, lobby and corridor or, or whichever element really of the project that, that our clients want us to look at. And then we create a visual digital twin. Then from there, our proprietary AI will compare this digital twin to the schedule and the drawings and provide non-subjective progress reports within 48 hours of the site photos being taken. So what we're finding now with our clients is it creates a much greater level of transparency across the projects, basically to a level which, which has probably never been available before. And now with that information, our clients can make much more informed and better decisions based on real-time information, which in turn saves them money and time as a result of these, these decisions. Also really by using our technology, our clients can now move away from manually collecting data, which, is, which probably for us is another really important element. And they can now focus on their core strengths like, I don't know, people management and complex problem solving. Uh, and, and dare I say it, actually building the, building the job. Uh, in addition to this, the non-disputable visual records um, and progress records are leading to significantly better relationships across the sites. And we've also found the instances of claims and disputes has been greatly reduced across our client base. There's a, a, a lot of different points um, you raised in there. I'd just like to pick up on some perhaps with Barry. 
One of those was around this idea of progress and I think um, having more certainty and perhaps minimising the arguments around that. Where do you see that being you know, particularly useful, Barry, if, if you do? I mean, do you see that being a, a sort of game changer or, or how do you perceive that? Um, I see it as being fundamental in uh, necessitating the change in the movement technology because it's all around intent. So if the intent is to compensate somebody fairly for costs that he's incurred or is about to incur, um, then if you've got a platform that accurately records the status of the work at any given point of time and it's accepted by all parties, then there's no argument because 99% of the arguments that we have around trying to recover costs, whether it's associated with a variation or whether it's associated with a time impact because a change that's been made or a subcontractor that's um, been delayed in terms of bringing materials to site, then if the basis is accurate, it becomes a numerical exercise to work out what the correct answer is. But 99% of our time gets spent in arguing about the contemporary records and whether they are accurate or not. And then we get caught in a, in a continuous circular discussion around, we, d- we disagree with your records, your records are incorrect, contractually you should have done this. Why? And, and it's all a load of nonsense. If the facts are the facts, it becomes a mathematical exercise based on the contract you've signed and a schedule of rates that works out what your compensation is. And we can just go to the the pictures and say, there was 12 square meters of stone laid and I had to chop it out. It's not an argument around, we don't believe you'd uh, put the stone in, please prove to us. So I think having the correct contemporary records and having the right intent um, should make the, the exercise very simple. Just thinking about what what you're saying there, Barry, about um, having this way of actually showing it as facts so that it's easy to be able to see what people should be compensated. It seems to me that we're not too far away then, are we, from having some kind of triggered automatic payment system? Yeah, I mean, it depends on, on how you set up the, the technology. But the technology is certainly available that if you've got a definitive design and you integrate into that uh, definitive design um, the, the engineering of your bill of quantities or your progress, it should be a click of a button in terms of generating your entitlement. So if you're recording your progress in terms of um, the program within the platform, and you've linked that to the the cost estimate that's gone into the same platform, it's doing it in real time. So variations might be something a little bit more complicated, but if your base is correct, there's no argument around the quantum that takes you from the one uh, scenario to the next scenario. And if I can add to that also, when we are talking about these automatic payments, and, and obviously that's where we're all trying to trying to, to get to in, in terms of a, a solution for, for the industry. Because if we look at, you know, effectively an ineffective industry at the moment, if we were to, to, to just assume it takes, you know, a contractor two weeks to process a, a claim to the client, he submits that. A client then has 30 days to assess that, that claim. 
typically the contractor, because of the, the industry that we f- face ourselves in, is is obviously biased towards his own works and and and, and maybe you know viewing things on a on a more positive basis towards what he's doing. So therefore, that to the client may appear to be overclaiming. Uh, the client then reviews that, and and typically clients are are protecting their own cash flow. So then they're under certifying those payments, uh, and then you spend the next two to three weeks arguing, let's call it, um, as to what the what the true quantum should be or the, what the real number should be. And then there's another 30 to 45 days in almost a perfect scenario, in, definitely in the Middle East, as to when a contractor gets paid. So what we're talking about now is let's call it a approximately a 100-day payment cycle at best that we, that we kind of see here in the Middle East. What does that actually mean to contractors and the whole construction ecosystem if we can, say, reduce those um, those payments down to 30 days. So if we've got technology that objectively measures progress uh, and then that's converted into work done and therefore payment, then there's no reason why we can't get those payment cycles down to 30 days. And what does that then mean for, as I said, to the construction ecosystem? If we can reduce payment cycles from 100 to 30 days, I think that's the real game changer that we're talking about and, and where we can really improve uh, the, the industry as a whole going forward. I mean, just to give you an example of how bad the market is at the moment here is we can receive an instruction for a significant change. We can procure, execute and sign off the change before people even can start considering the costs associated. And if we're lucky, we get paid 12 months after that. I think um, it sounds like the banks would be one of the biggest um, beneficiaries of these sorts of forms of technology and some technological changes as well. Um, Whose problem do you think this is, you know, in terms of the adoption of technology? Who should be driving it? Should it be the contractor driving it? Should it be the developer? Should it be a a funder? What what do you think? I think... As contractors, we've been trying to drive it quite a long time now. So when we do a design and build, everything downstream and within our control, we're using the latest technologies. But I think there's a perceived cost associated with using these technologies. And like I said earlier, we need a quantum shift in the way that we're thinking. They need to see the benefit as a whole and not versus individual procurement budgets. So somebody's procuring design and saying, I want the cheapest possible design. They're not looking at it and saying, I want, I want the best possible design solution that's gonna bring me the best overall cost benefit to the project. They're looking at it individual procurement silos when they're setting up the contract. And that's where the issue is. So the, the whole ecosystem needs to engage the technology and, and buy into it and say, we are collectively going to use these technologies to change the industry and the market that we're working in. We're tired of the inefficiencies. We're tired of not being able to, to cut drawings and to go and do uh, modules off-site and have a clear tracking system that ties into the program. Like I said, there's people that are benefiting from the inefficiencies and are resisting the change. And Pete, what what do you think? I mean, do you see it along similar lines? Um, who do you think should be paying for this? Absolutely. I mean, it's the entire industry as a whole. But but when you look at who effectively pays for things in the end, it's going to be the clients. Now, as Barry mentioned, you know, that it's being looked at singularly 
in individual silos. So, you know, they'll be saying for certain products, they'll be looking at, you know, well, why are you spending X amount on, on, on this, this technology or this element? When if you didn't use that, then, then you could save that money. But, but I don't think we've, we've actually gone into enough detail with all of the technologies that are at our, at our fingertips to be able to say, right, well, if we use this, We've we've got we've got proven track record and proven records to say that we've we've spent X here, but we've saved three to four X by using that down the line, and I think that's where the kind of especially in the in the industry here, there's a short term view on cost, and there, there's purely a, a look at right what how can we save money from the very start, and then we'll just keep on doing things that we used to do the, the, the way we used to do it previously. Whereas you know instead of looking and saying right well if we invest as I said as if we invest X here we can save three to four X down the line by adapting this technology. And I think we've got a little bit, bit of a way to go until, until we can prove those, those numbers. Yeah. Um, listening to, to both of you, um, you're obviously very driven by the idea of creating efficiencies and quite rightly so in, in the industry. When I'm listening to um, some of the benefits that new technology can bring, such as this, the single truth when it comes to measuring works, so quantities, but also um, the single truth on the progress of the work, so perhaps progress against the programme. I'm thinking, as a dispute lawyer, great. That's what I'm always missing, that level of detail, the level of records, and particularly one that's um, undisputable um, when I'm trying to fight a construction case. Do you see the value from that perspective, um, Barry, or are you sort of set on, well, if we get this right, we won't need it? No, I think there will always be um, a level of dispute because, I mean, some of the, the, the projects we, we do are quite complex and they're complex issues. But I think the, the speed with which disputes will get resolved and uh, the number of people involved in resolving the dispute should improve radically because... Most of the disputes, you spend a year or two gathering information and there's a lot of posturing and getting yourself into a position where you believe that factually you've got everything correct. Whereas if the information is fundamentally available, we should be able to turn things around fairly quickly. Then it becomes a factual discussion about entitlement. So contractually, are you right or wrong? The quantum is a matter of fact. And it, and, it, and it pre-exists before the principle is concluded, if you, if you understand where I'm coming from. Yeah, so I quite like the idea, actually, that that's the easy bit um, and that then really just comes down to entitlement. Because if construction disputes were all about the lawyer's job, they would be a lot more straightforward and um, significantly cheaper and faster to run. I think if I, if I can also add to that, we've been speaking to our, um, our clients, so contractors and clients across projects that we've, that we've seen across the North America, uh, Europe uh, and Australia. And, and we're finding that, that whoever is using the disperse, and we kind of touched on this before, you know, in terms of undisputable records from a, from a visual perspective, what was installed on, on what date against the recorded, call it, you know, the program where, where you were actually were in the program. 
we're actually finding that the, the, the number of disputes is, is far less than, than on a project where, where they're not adopting a technology such as Disperse because now there are these undisputable records and therefore people are unlikely to make claims that they may be able to rely on the, the grey elements because there's always, there's always the black and white, but, but what we find in construction is there's a lot of grey. So if you can take out that grey and it becomes black and white, then I think it's, very, it's, it's a much better or much more efficient way of dealing with, with dispute. And therefore, there'll be a lot less dispute once there is the, the black and the white, as opposed to, you know, covered all in grey. That would be great for the industry. Um, I wonder if we could just touch on, perhaps very quickly, your thoughts on other forms of technology, um, like perhaps a bit more about off-site modular construction. Is that something we're going to see more of? or drones or robotics? Um, do we think in these days of a lot more emphasis on ESG that there's benefits in uh, these different technologies? Yeah, I think you are going to see um, a lot more benefits, but I think we first got to get the discipline into the industry um, in order to do modular construction, in order to engage and use the, the benefits of robotics uh, and the like. You have to have a definitive product. So we have to get rid of the bad habits of constantly changing things before we get through the engineering process to actually execute. So a typical project here in the Middle East, you never build something once. You're constantly dealing with change. And that change doesn't necessarily bring any significant value to the end product. It's just a bad habit that exists in the market. But for us to engage off-site manufacture modules, volumetric construction, use robotics, you have to first conclude engineering. And that process needs six to 12 months in advance of anything even going into a facility for production because there's a preceding engineering, procurement. I mean, a car manufacturer doesn't start manufacturing a car unless all the pieces are lying in the factory. He's going to push one car a day off the production line. He doesn't run around looking for which tire or he's decided to change the tire. Unfortunately, the construction industry is like that. People constantly change things. They can't understand the impact. So, but if you want to engage technology, you need the discipline. The discipline is finalize what you want, engineer it, procure it, and we've got the capability to come up with the right modular solutions. We can utilize robotics and technologies, but we have to sort out the front end. We have to know what it is exactly that we're building. Which ties into the point very much that you made um, earlier, which was that where you're doing design and build, you, you can use these technologies because you can control it, presumably down your supply chain. Exactly. So we will define which elements are going to be modularized, whether it's riser shafts, whether it's bathroom pods. Um, we define the procurement, we, we drive it hard, we get the engineering and the detail of the engineering finalized. We then assemble it in the factories. Uh, we use the, uh, the technologies available to, to number the modules. The modules are tagged, they come to site in the correct sequence. So the industry is well capable of doing it. We just got to get the front end discipline. Pete, what are your thoughts? I'm laughing a little bit just purely from the perspective of, of it is such a long way from changing that mindset. Unfortunately, you know, if we use that, the, the kind of the car production, you know, you're producing thousands and thousands of them. I think construction is, is still a very emotional 
element for a lot of people. So architects and clients alone will tend to want to change. They see these things that they're fancy, glitzy buildings, what they want to look like. And, and they may have seen something somewhere else. And now all of a sudden they're halfway through construction and, and we're changing everything else. You know, ultimately that's where we need to get to. We need to get to somewhere. And, and, and you know, if we look at all the all the projects in, in, in my past that have done the best, it's the one where we haven't had change. If you don't have change, then there's less dispute, there's less, there's less time for variations, and you just get on and the supply chain's ready to build. Unfortunately, we don't, we don't see too many of those projects. And, and even if you do go down the line of the, the prefabrication and the, and the modules and the pods, for example, is probably a, a good example where people will still want to make changes to tiles and the like. And that's where the chain kind of breaks down from that perspective. So I think if we can, if we unlock away designs very, very early, we can just get on and build them, then I think that makes for, for great projects across the, uh, across the whole industry. Thank you. Um, I've got a sense of um, very much that there's the possibility out there, um, but also a bit of a sense from both of you that it's currently being held back. So I'm just going to ask you a final question, and that's for each of you to tell me what your prediction is for the future. Who wants to go first? I'm happy to go first. Um, Okay, so my prediction for the future... Obviously, from my introduction, where where, I was, where we're talking about the digital transformation, and and now you know moving into the into kind of the three D world, the BIM, where where now we can see a lot of other industries who are well progressed in terms of in terms of let's call it the the transformation stage rather than construction. I think their progress will allow construction to improve significantly because we do have a better understanding of designs and the models of the building that we can now adapt the industry to be able to lean on a lot more of these other industries that are well beyond us. So we can use those robotics, we can use the prefabrication, we can use the 3D printing and all these other elements to now create much more efficient buildings, um, which are quicker to build, cheaper to build, and more importantly, safer to build, which is ultimately what we're all trying to achieve. Thank you, Barry. I think um, the future is exciting for the construction industry and I think there's going to be a, a quantum shift in the way things are done. I think COVID has, uh, is going to have a role to play uh, in terms of the, the movement of people, the number of people involved on projects in, in traditional markets where there's been thousands of men on site. Um, and I think the companies that are not going to adopt the new technologies to improve their efficiency and make sure that they do things in a, a more sustainable way and in a safe way are going to get left behind. Um, so I think uh, the industry is ripe for change. Uh, and I think here, yeah, particularly in the Middle East, I think there's an appetite for that change from the leadership that they, they want to make sure that they're building a sustainable industry. Um, and uh, I think it's going to be exciting. So. I think it's time that the construction industry gets on the bus. <laughs> well, thank you. <laughs> I do too. And I want to thank both of you uh, for talking to me today. I'm really uh, quite excited by what I've heard too. Um, and I'm ready to get on the bus. So thank you both um, for your time today. Thank you. You're welcome. That was DLA Piper partner Susanna Newbolt speaking to Barry Lewis Managing Director, Construction for ALEC, and Pete Mladanovic, Enterprise Account Director for Disperse. Any information in this podcast is for general guidance only and is correct as of the date of recording. 
This podcast is not intended to be and should not be used as a substitute for taking legal advice in any specific situation. For full terms and conditions, please see our website. Thank you for listening to the DLA Piper Infrastructure Podcast. Subscribe now through your usual podcast provider so you don't miss an episode.